When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word, and let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for another Sunday, another installment in your word. Lord, would you open our eyes, our ears, our mind. Lord, what we don't have, would you give that to us? What we are not, would you make us? Lord, what we see, don't see, help us to see. And Lord, may this be something of eternal significance, our time with you at your feet. We ask this in your precious name, amen. Well, as said, we've been in this for some weeks, and uh, we learned that the first of the three chapters had to do with leadership within the church. The second chapter had to do uh, with uh, the family of the church itself and who teaches who. Uh, a lot of practical information there. And then this last chapter, chapter 3, had much to do with the gospel and our collective witness to the world outside the four walls of the church. We've learned a lot. We've done this before, back five years ago. kind of joked there when I said we were going to do it again. Well, I'm not the same guy that I was five years ago, and you're not the same church either. And we often need to recalibrate our instruments and synchronize our watches and Review the basics. Well, we've reviewed the basics, but we need to face the music as far as this last little passage here. Most people, if they're honest, if it's a pop quiz and especially doesn't have your name at the top, you would say, this is boring. It's just the end credits. It's a bunch of people's names I don't know and they don't know me. It's not written to me. What, what good is it? Bring on the Genesis for crying out loud. Why do we spend a whole week talking about the end credits. Nobody watches them in the theater unless it's a Marvel movie and some want to nerd out at the last little glimpse of what might be coming next if they actually make the movie or if it's sold and somebody wants to change it all. But we are going to spend time with this. There's a couple of reasons why. One, it's uh, inspired scripture. It's been preserved for thousands of years. God wrote it. It has to be good for something. Second of all, it, it, it's always good to finish, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're, we're not the first generation, at least mine isn't, I don't think. I don't know. I'm kind of precariously between. I'm not quite the millennial. I'm not quite the other. Um, but there, there is a, something to say about finishing something, isn't it? Finish your homework. Finish your vegetables. Finish your Bible study. All the way to the end. And maybe we'll find something hiding there in plain sight. Because if there's a reason why we're not familiar with the end of New Testament letters, it's probably because they don't get preached much. (laughs) Because they're full of end credits. And there's always something else more exciting to preach about. Well, we finish our books. We study them each word. And today we have the last bit of it. So uh, basically, if we want to organize this and then chart our course, 
Of these four verses, there are three specific requests involving a group of people we know little about. Uh, It's not atypical of a New Testament letter ending. Paul wrote 13, and they most all end this way with proper names and certain people to say hello to or to greet. They usually end with grace, same as this one does. Um, This one's written by Paul. We've said that many times. The apostle to the Gentiles, powerful man, accomplished, learned, veteran of the gospel ministry. And for what we know about most high-profile figures, they usually do their best work alone. Or at least they own the rights to all the credit. Uh, A lot of profile people do have a vast network of people under them to get them where they need to be and to publish what they write and really to facilitate the whole platform. But when we read through our New Testaments, we don't see any of that with Paul the Apostle. He's he's probably about the opposite of that type of thing that you could imagine. We see clearly, especially in the book of Acts, that he valued relationships, valued friendships, valued partnerships, relied on the input of the people that he purposefully surrounded himself with. He was no one-man band. And I think if there's anything that shines in these last four verses, which is the same of any of the last verses in any of the books that he wrote, it's that you all are important. There was a group of people that was important to him. Uh, I think the same is true in the church today. You are important to each other. You're important to me. Your family's important to other families. And if the gospel is going to get around the world, it's a cooperative effort. And there is no such thing as a nobody there's, there's in, the, in the kingdom of God. Um, nobody's a nobody. That's a good way to put it. I, I think that might be what we find by the time we get to the end of it. So here were those three things he's asking for. Uh, do your best to come to me. That goes for Titus, and that's to meet him in Nicopolis. Then there's a do everything to help Zenos and Apollos. They, they've got a mission, and they need support for it. And then greet those who love us in the faith. Make sure that those who love us know that we love them. So the implication here is that these people were important. We're going to see if that shoe fits, and we are all important. So let's look at number one. We'll take each in turn, and then we get through to the end. I'll try to tie it up, and we'll we'll end it with a a what's in this for me. Um, Do your best to come to me. This is one of those uh, sentences where when we go from Greek to English, we lose a little bit because our English doesn't quite match a one-to-one Greek word. Uh, The original carries the idea of urgency. So when we read, do your best to come to me, we could say, uh, get here as quick as you can, or get here ASAP. Uh, When these things that I'm asking you to do get done, don't waste any time getting to me. There's no time to waste. All of that would be fine translation, but for an accurate uh, translation, we, we don't write our Bibles like Preachers explain them, and it'd just be too big of a book, right? Um, So he's saying, get here quick, but we got ahead of ourselves. There's something that needs to take place before Titus packs his bags. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. 
So let's just start bombarding this with those good questions they taught us in school how to take things apart. Who are we talking about? Well, there's an Artemis and a Tychicus. Anybody know anyone named Artemis or Tychicus? <laughs> nope. Um, those are Greek names. Uh, as far as Artemis, uh, that name has to do with the god of hunting. That was not uncommon that they would name their children after these gods. And they had lots of gods, so you could you know, name a bunch of kids and still not get them mixed up. Um, but that's all we know about this guy. And even if all we know about him, the fact that he shows up has to be, we have to conclude that he was important to Paul. So that's, that's as far as we can go. Uh, we know from history that name would have been associated with the god of hunting as far as a Greek-Roman culture, and Paul mentions him once. There's no other place in the Bible where we read of his name, and maybe this is just kind of uh, what it's like here on earth, but it won't be that way in heaven. We'll know who people are and what they did and how they were important to the kingdom. I think it'll be fascinating. I'm hoping, this is kind of what you worry about or think about or wonder about when you've got nothing to think, worry, or wonder about. When we get to heaven, is all that downloaded right off the bat and we automatically know? Or do we get the privilege of tracking down an Artemis and asking him, so what is it that was so important that Paul would mention you when he wrote Titus? I think that would be more fun. And it's not like there'll be a big bottleneck. We've got eternity to do it. <laughs> uh, so it, it should be fun. Now, when you get to the next name, there's Tychicus. He was the courier for at least one, probably two of Paul's letters. We do read of him in other places. Three things are said of him in the places where he's mentioned. One, he's a dear brother. Two, he's a faithful minister. And third, a fellow servant of the Lord. Now, it shouldn't be this way, but isn't it different when certain people say the same thing about someone? Um, or the way someone calls your name. You know, somebody can call your name by accident in Walmart, and you might turn around and look just to make sure. But if you're eight years old and your mother calls you your name along with the middle name, that's uh, totally different. It means something. It's the same word. Uh, in this case, if I said you were a dear brother, a faithful minister, or a fellow servant in the Lord, would that mean the same thing as if Paul said it? Shouldn't, maybe. Maybe it should. But I'm, I'm just trying to tease out of this in our imagination. What would it be like to have a guy that you call a dear brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord? This is a guy you can count on, this Tychicus fellow. Um, if we're concerned about who, then maybe we could use the word when, because there is a time stamp here, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus. So Titus is supposed to meet him in Nicopolis, but he's supposed to wait for the arrival of one of these two guys. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus. So... We don't know the reason why. We're not told specifically, but it makes good sense. Since this book is about Titus being left in Crete to put in order what remained to be put into order, the place needed some leadership. So it's important for a leadership 
transition to take place before he moves on to the next assignment. That seems to be what's, what's going on. The principle would be good leadership has good backup. If you're going to be away, have someone who can do what you do the way you do it or better in place in your absence. That has got to be what's going on here. One of these men were to be Titus's replacement. And then if we've done a who and a when, there is a where, and that would be Nicopolis. Um, Sometimes I wish I had like a free biscuit coupon or something for a contest. Anyone point to Nicopolis on a map, you get this biscuit coupon. I'm pretty sure I'd get to keep the biscuit coupon. (laughs) I looked it up. It's on the west coast of Greece, and it has a very significant historical uh, factoid. It was called Victory Town. That's what that means. And the victory was between Octavian and then this Mark Antony and Cleopatra pair who had decided to wage war and it was fought uh, as a naval battle and Octavian got quite the upgrade after it was all over. He becomes Caesar Augustus and the rest is history. That's the place where the city was founded to commemorate the winning of the battle, Victory Town. And they would have games there every fifth year to celebrate it. It would make a wonderful winter resort to overwinter in. That's where Paul chose. For whatever he and Titus are going to be discussing, that's where they'll, they'll be doing this. Now, as to why, why there, what are they going to be doing? Have no idea. But in 2 Timothy 4, which is the last letter we know Paul wrote where he's talking in very uh, final-sounding terms as to his last plans. Tradition tells us he'd be executed by the emperor Nero shortly thereafter. But he mentions Titus as having gone to another location, probably in a situation where he's needed And in this network of small churches and persecution beginning ever so slightly to increase, um, it's probably quite adventurous if we could listen to them tell the story themselves. Kind of find it a little ironic that uh, the town called Victory Town, where the Roman Empire uh, was changed and built perhaps, you've got this old missionary veteran teaching a younger missionary. Perhaps, I don't know, the next wave of evangelistic missions in a wide open world. Um, You kind of look at history from the perspective of this planet over against history from the perspective of God and the angels. Which victory is more important? It's quite a thing to think about. Let's keep going. Um, Point number two, do everything to help Zenos and Apollos. So while Titus is waiting on one of these two men to take his post so he can meet Paul and Nicopolis, apparently Zenos and Apollos are there with them. So again, the who question. We know uh, very little about one, uh, a, a little bit about the other. Uh, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste. So be quick about that, that they may lack nothing. Zenos was a lawyer. That's how he's described, identified, found nowhere else in Scripture. 
But as with Artemis, we can assume he was a faithful believer in whom Paul had great confidence. What pastor doesn't need a good lawyer? It's always nice to have a lawyer, perhaps on retention. I'm not sure. But then there's Apollos. Now, this is the guy we learned quite a bit about in Acts uh, from the library city of Alexandra. That's in North Africa, mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament, always favorably. We read this in Acts. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. That's quite a compliment. You're going to teach the Bible, do it accurately. Uh, Also was competent, so he was studied, but also eloquent. There's few times where that type of thing is said in scripture. And many believe that Apollos historically was the better preacher in the New Testament, that his ability to speak uh, was better than Paul's. Paul's was, Paul was a theologian. He was the one that um, untangled theological mystery in a way that we can grasp it, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, in other words. Um, but then there were times where Peter said, the stuff Paul says is too complicated. Maybe he's saying, I'd rather listen to Apollos. You remember it came down to, some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm Apollos. There were people that preferred one to the other. But he's sending him to Crete, where Titus is. It's commonly held that the two of these may have carried the letter from Paul to Titus. What we're reading and studying here, these men brought, and then they went on somewhere else. It was a detour in order to send Titus a message. Um... And if we're asking a why here, okay, why are you bringing them up? Well, it's right, that description's on the heels of verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So it's possible, the idea here is to use the arrival and stay and departure, it's probably short term, of these two, Zenos and Apollos, to teach and illustrate the concept of good works. Isn't that what he said? Learn and devote themselves to good works. Uh, There's many commentators who have said this doesn't need to be any more complicated than uh, Apollos, which is a highly regarded speaker and teacher, is going to take a stop here, deliver a letter, which is going to get Titus in motion to Nicopolis and let him know that backup is arriving. But at the same time, he can teach these folks. He can tell them where they've been and where they're going. It could be that these are the first two supported missionaries from the first New Testament church on the island of Crete. We have missionaries in our budget. Uh, We know their names and their faces. It's not just a big basket of missionaries that uh, the denomination tells us that we support if we give them. No, they come in, they tell us what they've done and what they'll be doing. And we support the work of their ministry. It's very likely that's what's going on with these two. You got a traveling speaker and his lawyer along with him. And what he says here, let them learn to devote themselves to good works. Give them an example of two men who've devoted themselves to good works. And let that devotion to good works rub off on the rest of the church. And then let them be a part of it so that they're not unfruitful. They know that wherever those men are, they're somehow a little bit or a part of that. Now, this isn't westernized. It's not a, 
uh, get rich quick type thing where, you know, you send me this and I'll send you this special anointed cloth. You know, we, we kind of joked about that kind of stuff before. But um, we'll come back to that here in just a moment. But I think that last phrase there, that they may not be unfruitful. I think that goes back to what we're supposing to be the theme here. All these people are in on it. All of these people are important. Paul's thinking proper names in different locations because this is not the only place where he knows a lot of people. They're all tied in it together for the greater calling of the proclamation of the gospel. They're involved. They're engaged. It's no different than family. Who would want to be part of a family where no one's involved, no one's engaged, nobody knows each other's name, nobody cares about anybody? It wouldn't be a good church. It wouldn't be a good family. It wouldn't be productive either. So that was uh, number two, do everything to help these two men. Before that was uh, do your best to come to me. And then third, greet those who love us in the faith. Now that's wrapped up in those who are with me send greetings. Who are those people? We don't know. Maybe the people would know who are reading the letter because they know where Paul is. We don't even know that. So there's no way we can answer the question. And then somewhat of a reciprocal here. Not just those who are with me send greetings to you, but you greet them that love us in the faith. My folks say hey to you. You tell folks I know I said hey. And that kind of way we would put it. Um, right before you hang up the phone. What's well, good talking? Tell everybody I said hello. I've never done that. Hey, my brother said Hello. We don't know you or your brother. Well, I was in the car. I'm in Walmart now, he called. We don't really do that, but I think he does. Um, and, and this love business here, is that just the generic stuff that we use to talk about, uh, you know, desserts or whatever? I don't think so. Um, this love is different. It's the kind of love that kind of ties people together. You. Certain experiences in life tend to tie people together maybe for life. Uh, you can see this really any morning of the week, especially on the weekends. Go to restaurants that serve biscuits and watch these men share stories about getting shot at together. Uh, they'll have pictures in their wallets they've carried around forever. Uh, sometimes the picture's the guy that's gone, and that's the reason why they're still here. Uh, they make series about that kind of stuff called Band of Brothers. Uh, you might work a long time at a job with people. You keep up with them for the rest of your life. This comes from knowing that I'm a lost sinner. God loved the world enough to give his son. He's paid my sin debt. I don't owe him anything, and I got it for nothing. And somebody else has the same experience. That's why it sounds weird to untrained ears that don't go to church, but we call them brothers and sisters, have the same father. So when we go through struggles or we go through something joyous, uh, there's some of us that are a little tighter than, say, the rest, only because we've got not just something in common, but what we would say is the most important part of us in common. So when he's saying, greet them that love us in the faith, tell our brothers and sisters that we'll live together in eternity together that we said 
hello, um, you know, in the here and now instead of the there and then. Uh, let me see here. And then the last, um, grace be with you all. That's how he signs off. He kind of ends where he started because right after his preliminaries describing his name, he gives grace, mercy, and peace. So grace be with you all. What is grace? That's something we don't deserve. That's what was purchased on the cross, given to us for nothing. We repent of our sins, believe in faith, we're saved, and we know it. That's grace. So I think it's fitting that he closes his letter with this emphasis on people because that's, that's make or break. The letter's about doing it right. There's a way to do church correctly. There's a way to do church wrongly, but it's all about God's children and their interaction with each other, their leadership, uh, their teaching capacity, and then their witness to the world. But it seems to make sense. And given the fact that none of us live forever, it's people who are going to carry this on. And it's incumbent on one generation to teach the next generation so we don't repeat the worst chapters in the Scriptures where we read, there arose a generation that knew not the God of their fathers. Somebody's got to do it. And it's on us to do that. So what's in this for me? What, what can we do with these end credits? Um, all the information here is quite ordinary. There's, there's nothing epic here. <laughs> Um, did you see those end credits? No, it's, it, they're, they're end credits. Only families of people on the end credits sit there and watch it to make sure it's actually there. But the rest of us don't. Um, it's pretty plain, but that may be the glaring part of it all and having to do with people that are important to the Lord. The majority of the work of God takes place in the lives of his children by means of the ordinary, unnamed, and routine. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Uh, I've never performed a miracle. I've seen things that I couldn't explain, and you kind of chalk that up to a miracle. I do believe the good Lord can do whatever he wants to. Uh, but for the most part... I think my life as a Christian has not been that different than anybody else's life. Never walked on water. I've been never able to close my eyes and squint real hard and pray hard enough to cool it off on a 98-degree day when I'm mowing the yard. That, that just it doesn't work that way. Uh, most mornings, I don't get up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to do my devotions, and then when I get to the breakfast table, hear my children singing hymns. That's never happened once. Uh, and I don't think these people in the Bible are much different. There were miracles at strategic, pivotal moments where God needed to let the world know, I'm speaking to you in this miraculous way, so there's no way you can mistake that it's me and it's not normal. But other than that, we're not going to live there. You don't work your way up on the ladder of Christianity and get your miracle powers. That's just not the way it works. So I think what we've got, along with this being important, is a good exhibit of, of just ordinary, and it was helpful, encouraging to me. 
How do you like uh, Paul, the apostle, high-profile man, telling his uh, trusted Titus, who's holding down the fort in Crete, when he says to come to Nicopolis, what he says is, do your best. What do you think of that? Is, is that what you'd expect out of superhero, Bible land, big-time flannel graph, Paul the Apostle and Titus, do your best? I mean, that's all the ministry in Crete is resting on is the best of this guy's Titus? Don't, don't you have some type of spiritual toolkit, secret insider stuff that you could put on YouTube and sell packaged people for the rest of, you know, modern existence? Do your best. That's it. That's what it says. Even though we'd like to think that Bible characters executed their mission from God by some other means. But that's what he tells him. That's what Dad told me. In fact, my other Bible, before I got this new one, has a piece of paper that I taped in it. And it's fallen off a few times, so it's got a bunch of tape on it. But it's in my dad's hand. It says, Son, do your best. That's all God ever asks. There's a crazy thing about your best. We usually don't. I mean, our best is our best, right? Did you brush your teeth the best this morning to the best of your ability? I didn't because it was my toothbrush I have upstairs where I've been living since the babies invaded my bedroom. My good toothbrush is down there with the three ladies taking care of that fourth lady my oldest daughter and my mother and my wife. Um, but no, I, I, I did a subpar toothbrushing job this morning. I didn't do my best. Can I say I did my best on this sermon? I had a lot going on. I think I'd be lying if I said it was my best and I pushed everything else aside. Now, do we mean that when we say it, do your best? This As if this is the best you do on anything for your whole life. Your purpose in life is to do your best on this. Probably not. But what else would we say is worthy of God's service, being He saved us of our sins, than our best efforts? Do your best. Do your best is enough for Paul. Do your best seems enough for the Lord. Do your best was enough for my daddy. Uh, I th- Sometimes our best is not enough for ourselves. But there's room for improvement is what I see. But what else I see is this is pitifully normal, routine, ordinary. Do your best. No magic powers. You don't get a bailout here. Uh, What do we do with, um, perhaps how do do we expect more out of Paul? Uh, He's going to Nicopolis. That's Victory Town. They're going to figure out what's next as far as which church to plant and build and, and lead. The word we get for how he came to that conclusion is decided. For I have decided to go to Nicopolis. You just decided? There's no revelation? Did you pray about it? I'm sure he prayed about it. But at the end of all his prayer, he had to decide where he's going. At the end of all my prayers, I have to decide, build a house, don't build a house move from Virginia to North Carolina or not move from Virginia to Carolina. I think that's what I told Joe when he said, okay, you got the vote. And I said, well, now I'm out of options except for two. (laughs) I have to make a decision finally. 
But I had to make a decision. God has never audibly said, this is what you're supposed to do. Though this book is full of wisdom that's been poured into me by others that had wisdom. And so far, been able to apply biblical wisdom to decision making in a a whole pile of contexts. But it's not magical. It's not. And the Lord told me that I should go to Nicopolis. Now, there are places where it says that, where there's a specific dream. It's weird. And usually there's other people let in on it some way to know that it's not just this guy having a bad dream or a bad meal. But in this case, it's just ordinary. He makes a simple decision. Kind of like the fact that he was able to make it without, you know. How many, how many places did he decide to go? And people were like, you can't go there. We studied that in Acts. Well, he makes the decision and he's owned it. And then there's another thing in here that's kind of ordinary, um, very practical. What should we think about this church who's learning how to handle cases of urgent need? That's what he said. I want you to learn how to handle these cases of urgent need. I wish we could have some type of lottery for members of Wake Chapel um, kind of like jury duty, but you have to spend a week in the office. Uh, and at least one day on the phones. And you get to hear how many people call the church because they need something. Usually it's money. And how do we figure out whether or not that's a legitimate need or is it not a legitimate need at all? And what I love about this is it says they need to learn to do this. You don't just tell them, here's your formula for deciding, you know, discerning, deciphering who's ripping you off and who really needs something, who who might be an angel unawares. Um, I remember back in Virginia the first time, uh, this was early getting hired at the tabernacle, and uh, hey, you got the door this time. I'm okay. Go get the door. It's this couple. They're on fumes. They need to get to the doctor. They're headed to Chatham. Um, What do I do? Well, I'm no dummy, so I'm not just going to give them money. I'm going to drive up to the gas station and go pay the attendant, and they can fill their tank, and the money's not wasted. So I do. I get back to the office, and as soon as I get back, the phone's ringing, and Robin says, you need to get this call. You should get a kick out of it. It was the lady that I just paid at the service station who knows us. And they'd come right in after I drove off and said, well, I guess the gas meter's broke. It clicked off. It's full. Can we get the change? Now, I did see them about two years later, and they didn't remember it was me, but I remembered it was them. (laughs) And I learned something. But the truth of it is there's no way around the learning curve, and you're going to do it wrong. You're going to get ripped off, and you're going to actually miss what could be a blessing. But you're humans, and so are they, and there's all kinds of ways for that to grow you up, and God get the glory. But you'll have to learn, and you'll learn that the urgent's not always important, and what's important isn't always urgent. Some of the most important needs you'll never hear about, because some people just aren't going to tell you they're suffering or lonely, or whatever else, where there's some people that'll act like every day is misery when it's really not. But that's part of the learning. 
So Paul says, hey, Titus, you got an opportunity here. Got some people in here. They have some needs. Teach them what a good need is and let them decide if they want to be part of it. All right. Um, There's one more I saw in here. And what about those unnamed men and women? Well, they had names. We just, that's all we know about them. Are they less important to God's work than those whose background we're familiar with? Not necessarily. The problem with the way we think, though, and we get it honest, um, we tend to value profile over purpose. And there's some people in our culture that are just important. They, they don't really do anything, but everybody watches them and has to know what's going on. That's a massive profile, but it doesn't really serve that big of a purpose. I mean, it's, it's you know, the candy shop of our economy, perhaps <laughs> entertainment, or even the sports world. Um, someone who does, in the background, kingdom work, as simple as perhaps just praying. And they might be honest enough to admit that that's what they're reduced to. It may have been a day where they were all over this place, but now, because of their health, they're at home. They can't even be here, but they can pray for you. You don't even know what's happening. Um, that's massive. No profile whatsoever. So, while some might you know, value likes and followers and subscriptions and platform... Nobody is a nobody in the kingdom of God. I think that might be the clearest point. So if we're going to ask ourselves some questions out of here, uh, is there someone saying, do your best to come to me? Now that was for Titus and Paul was doing the speaking, but you could change the words around. But is there a need and has the invitation been submitted and can you help? Uh, We have no idea whether or not Titus ever made it to Nicopolis. I would think he did. Um, but the idea is that Paul's involved in a wide open great commission and this guy has a skill set that he thinks could be useful. So he asks and then says, do your best. I guess that'd be a good question to ask. It, it's hit me straight between the eyes. Am I doing my best at my post? Um, is there someone who needs your services? Paul needed these men and women's services. He's greeting people all over the place. Does someone need you? This is pitifully ordinary. He's not going to tap you on the shoulder. He's not going to peel the clouds. He's probably not going to ring the phone three times as a code and then it go dead for a minute and then you pick it up and somebody's still there. I've heard stories like that. And really, when you're looking for something or hoping for something, you'll make anything a sign, won't you? Or if you don't want to do something, you'll make anything a sign. This is a, no, don't do it. You'll have to learn. You'll have to do your best. It's mundane. It's tedious. There's no cheat book or cheat code or coupon code for that matter. Someone needs your service? Good question. Are there ways you can be learning to handle cases of need? 
Again, we're the clearinghouse for that stuff. A lot of times people come to me and say, hey, uh, here's this, somebody gave it to me, I'm going to hand it to you, I didn't know what to do with it. And you know I'm a smart aleck at heart, right? I usually want to say, what'd you do about it? I'll do the same. But that'd be being a jerk, wouldn't it? But I'd love to have somebody just say, I did this, ha ha, no, you have to. That's why I don't say it. Um, But... How long has it been since your muscles for exercising care, compassion, and help over urgent needs within the body been worked or exercised? Might be a good question. And then where do all these things fit into your routine? Because these days I think most of our calendars are like black. It's all blacked out with a little hole here or there that we... You know, might have some time. I think if we got to look at Paul's Google calendar, he's probably written in a lot of this stuff as priority. I'm going to put this in first, and then other things that I don't think about might not get in, rather than I'm going to block all this off and, and have some margin so I can have, you know, some me time. We can kill ourselves wearing each other out. We know that. Um, But at the same time, we can miss the goodness of the kingdom by not having anything in common with this ordinary stuff here. So, I don't know. You get to the end of it and you think, well, good grief, there was something there. And it does look like I have some homework to do. And maybe I'm not doing my best and maybe somebody needs me and maybe I can learn a little bit about handling cases of urgent need. It was important enough for Paul to write about it. And then I thought, my daddy used to teach me this stuff, but he never said anything about it. He didn't call it Titus three twelve through 15. He'd just do crazy things that like made us wonder. He'd see us eating an ice cream cone and ask if he could have it. Really, all he was doing was just gauging whether or not we'd let go of it because I never, ever remember him taking it from us. Sometimes he'd just smile. Sometimes he'd say, I just want to know what you'd say. Sometimes he'd walk up on, say, two kids and one ice cream cone. You know, that's a problem. And before we even knew he was in there, and we were, you know, trying to convince the other that the best thing to do with the cone was to let the other consume it, right? We're making our case. I need this because you got three other ones. And I didn't. Whatever. But you'd hear this voice. Good thing the good Lord doesn't treat us like that. And then it's like fighting. No, you have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. Well, it'll melt if we keep this up. Why don't you have it, Dad? Nope. Just wanted to see what you'd say. And what he's doing is is just gauging our uh, grip on things. And perhaps just long enough to help us experience what we never will on our own unless it happens accidentally sometimes or purposefully on purpose and that is the difference between giving and receiving 
and how giving really can really be a blessing far greater than receiving. But usually that stuff comes in when you're older and a lot of your time's already spent. Paul's older in this book. And you read First, Second Timothy especially, you can hear he's a lot older. And a lot of the things he stood hard on, like that Mark kid, we don't want him. Bring him, he's profitable to me in the ministry. Mark's important too. A lot of it changes. It's all perspective. But um, for whatever it's worth, this is God's word. We covered the end credits today. And we start Genesis next week. But for now, let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the end credits. Thank you for people's names we don't know. Perhaps we'll have a chance to meet someday. Lord, we thank you for people. We thank you for each other. We thank you for being the great networker, the original networker. You put us where we need to be with others we need to know. So perhaps something that you want to tell us can get through even if we're hard-headed or if we're selfish. You came to fix all that and make us look more like you. So we thank you for the ending of this book and the prospect of beginning another one next week. But Lord, I ask that you would ask me if just in the form of a reminder, just using my own conscience that you gave me with the assistance of the Holy Spirit to ask me if I'm doing my best, to ask me if I'm meeting needs, to ask me if I'm useful to someone. And Lord, perhaps some of what Dad used to do, a test here or there, just to keep us honest. Lord, we thank you for time together. We thank you for what we've sang and what we will sing. And we thank you for our lunches we'll have together. And may we spend the rest of this day restful, but mindful of you and your goodness. We ask this in your name. Amen.